I'm Pastor John. Welcome to Tribuco Presbyterian Church. It's so good to see you all this morning. And we have a special guest with us, Elmarie Parker, from uh, our, one of our mission partners, Presbyterian Church USA and Syria, Lebanon. We're going to hear more from her in just a little bit, but I wanted to just uh, take some time to, as we continue our mini-series. You guys watch mini-series all the time, your streaming series, right? Well, we're doing a mini-series through the letter that James wrote to the first century church. It's in the New Testament, toward the end of the New Testament. We started our mini-series last week, and we explored the nature of faith. As James learns from Jesus, as he knew Jesus. And this morning is the character of God. The nature and character of God. As James wants to encourage the first century church, an important understanding of their own personal spiritual development, but also their congregational vitality. This understanding of the nature of faith and understanding the nature and character of God are essential for James. And so he wants to encourage the first century church to that. In our study last week, or our message last week, we, we learned that James is a relative of Jesus, right? He's, he's Jesus' brother. I have a brother, and I have a sister, and they're awesome. Um, and it's interesting, when I've met some of your siblings, your brothers and sisters, um, how sometimes we get uncomfortable, right? And like, oh man, don't tell them what I was like when I was in junior high or something like that, right? It's awesome, brothers and sisters. Well, Jesus had a family. Matthew records it. He tells us about how Jesus' family came on the scene or was part of his life. In Matthew, it says this, he came to his hometown. Jesus was going to come and, and teach and preach in his hometown of Nazareth. Those of us who went to Israel last uh, October, we went to Nazareth. It was awesome. It was beautiful. Um, so Jesus goes to the synagogue, and they were astounded. And he said, where did this man get this wisdom and these deeds of power. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not his mother called Mary? And not, are not his brothers James and Joseph? I need to move this microphone over here because it sounds like it's reverberating. I'm back. And are not his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all this? Isn't that a dig on the family? He's dig, they're digging the family. Wait, we know this Jesus. Isn't he the carpenter's son? Is, we know his mom. Is, it's Mary. We know his brothers and his sisters. And they took offense at him. That's what it says here in Matthew. But Jesus said to them, prophets are not without honor except in their own hometown, in their own house. And he did not do many deeds of power there because of their unbelief. I have often wondered what it would have been like to grow up as a sibling of Jesus, right? A brother. And Jesus is his older brother of James. Like I said, I, had a, I have a brother and a sister, and they're awesome. But can, I, can you imagine if all of a sudden your siblings started walking around town and started teaching with a sense of authority, an air of authority, started doing miracles, 
And then started arguing with powerful people in your town that would probably do harm to you socially in your village. It would not have been easy. There's another moment recorded in the Gospels where Jesus is teaching in a local synagogue. And he's starting to talk about Messiah and talking about the Son of Man. All the I am statements that are recorded in the, the Gospel of John that we have studied before. I'm the light of the world. I'm the true vine. All those I am statements, right? Well, they're starting to come out. And then the family of Jesus, Mary and his brothers and sisters, try to put a lid on it. And so they send a message to Jesus. He's inside the synagogue. He's teaching. And he sends, they send a message. Jesus, you need to come outside. It's one of those things like, you need to come home with us. We're kind of done with you stirring up what's going on in your ministry. Mary wanted to give Jesus a talking to. You come out right now, young man. You can learn your place. Jesus responds with less than warm, fuzzy feeling, more of a cold dismissal, claiming that his true family, this is what he says, and he replied, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. No doubt it must have been a long walk home for Jesus' mother and his brothers and sisters. He, just, he didn't come out. He didn't want to be with us. I'm done. With, maybe one of the brothers was, I'm done with him. Forget him. Maybe Mary is trying to put a, you know, calm things down to iron out the, the wrinkles and says, now listen, you guys, we know he loves us. He's your brother. Must have been interesting. James, at the very least, was probably very disappointed, but at worst, he was hurt. As Jesus seems to toss this family honor and family ties aside. So for the next three years, James kind of watches from the sidelines. As his older brother takes on the religious authorities, he must have heard the stories of Jesus, you know, walking on water, casting out demons, feeding thousands of people, calling Lazarus out of the tomb. I wonder if James joined his mom on that triumphal entry on Palm Sunday when they go and they're waving palm branches. Was, was James there waving palm branches for his brother, Jesus? What about when Jesus was on trial? When he's arrested, marched through the city streets, bearing the cross that he would bear for all of us, for the world. Where was Jesus? Where was James when Jesus hung on the cross? Lifeless. We don't know. But what we do know is that everything changes as the, after the resurrection. After Jesus comes and confronts the disciples and comes and finds his family. We learn from the Gospels that James is there when Jesus is, uh, ascends into heaven to be with his father. James is there at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit falls down upon the disciples, 120 as they are in the upper room. James sees Jesus in new light. Not just a roaming, unconventional rabbi who, the preacher asking others to follow him with teachings and 
and parables that upset the status quo. No, he sees Jesus now as a lover of the soul. Lover of souls, the only begotten son. And now James had come, become a key leader in Jerusalem after Pentecost, after the birth of the church. And I imagine as he reflects on his life with his brother, Jesus, and the temptations that Jesus faces, right? The trials that Jesus faces, how Jesus was slow to anger, how he called people no matter what station they were in life to follow him, to welcome them, tax collectors and sinners, everyone, all are welcome. These themes run throughout the whole letter that James writes to the first century church. And that is our backdrop. Let's listen how James describes the character of God in the first chapter. Blessed is anyone who endures temptation. You think about how Jesus endured temptation, right? Such a one has stood the test and will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. No one when tempted should say, I am being tempted by God. God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself tempts no one. But one is tempted by one's own desire, being lured and enticed by it. Then when desire has conceived, it engenders sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not be deceived, he says, my beloved. Every generous act of giving, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fulfillment of his own purpose, he gave us birth by the word of truth so that we would become a kind of first fruits of all his creatures. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. There's lots going on in that passage indeed. Endurance, one who stands the test. Then there's the crown waiting for the one who is at the finish line. One who endures for the sake. There's a reward that awaits them. I wonder how is this good news for the the first century church? And how is it good news for us? Is it just to put up with the pain and the suffering? And then there will be a reward? I think there's a couple things that we learn about the character of God in this passage. And one is that we learn that the God is a God of promise. Our God is a God of promise. There are two very important aspects of this promise that come out in this passage. James wants to encourage the church with. First, we need to know that there's a boundary beyond which trials and suffering are limited. And trials and suffering and persecution cannot go. James knows the boundary belongs to God. He has witnessed it in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There's a boundary. God brings life. He restores. The boundary belongs to God. And this is a very important promise for us. As we endure the trials and the temptations and the tribulations and the difficulties that we face, the trials that we endure, 
in some ways, this too will pass. And that's the good news. It's not some unlimited, unrestrained, never-ending pain and suffering the church has to endure. No, there's a boundary. There's an end. And God will bring an end to it. I have a good friend that I meet with on a regular basis. We grab a, a bite to eat. I was sharing with them recently some of the difficulties I was going through and, you know, trying to manage. My friend listened. And they listened. And I was sharing. And, and in the end, my friend said this, you're going to make it. You'll get through this, they said. Now, I can't tell you how comforting that was. And it was comforting for, because of this. Because my friend has seen their fair share of trial and tribulation and difficulties in their own life. And they've made it through. So I could trust in their words. Yes, you're going to make it. I could hear in their voice a depth of love and concern and genuine faith. A genuine faith in the promises of God. You will make this. You will make this. And second in the promise is a reward for those who endure. A reward for those who endure. This is interesting. There's a lot of ink spilled about what that reward is. And some of you have some real good opinions about that, what that reward is, what will be in heaven. Maybe there's a reward, but you know, some I've heard people say, oh, I'm going to have this humongous house, and I'm going to have all this, you know, a golf course, right? You know, all this kind of thing. I don't know what it is, the reward. What James is saying here is it's not a crown like a king would wear more like an emblem or a, a token that you would receive as an athlete receives at the end of a race. You finished the race. Here's your reward. You finished. You endured. Emblem of victory that an athlete would have been given after a race. There is a reward those who stay on the race completion. There is a reward you know, it's interesting. Um, Eugene Peterson uh, quotes a, a philosopher, Frederick Nietzsche, who saw this area of spiritual truth, this area of spiritual truth at least, with great insight. He wrote, the essential thing in heaven and earth is there should be a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. And thereby results, has always resulted in the long run, something which made life worth living. A long obedience to the same direction. I think that's what James is getting at. Endurance. God of promise. Not only is God of promise, but the God of giver of good. If God is the giver of good, then he is not the giver of evil. That's what it says. That's what James reminds the first century church. God cannot be tempted by evil. He's not going to sit there and hand out trials and tribulations to you, try to tempt you. No, that's not our God. Now, we may squirm a little bit about this idea of sin 
Each of us knows the battle. We're not happy with ourselves when we fail, and we trust in God's forgiveness, indeed, and God's grace and mercy delivered us through this, and secure in Christ. But look how the pastor, James, comes out here. When he shares with them the dangers of sin, to watch out. Don't be lured away. Don't let yourselves be deceived. And then he says something, then he states something very, very important. He says, my beloved. You can't skip over that too quickly. When he says, my beloved, it reminds me when, after Jesus comes up out of the water in his baptism, this is my son, I'm well pleased, the beloved. James is reminding us that we are the beloved. You are beloved. When you, if there's one thing, as you walk out of this sanctuary this morning, or as you finish watching online, you are beloved. You are beloved. And that comes right from the brother of Jesus. You are beloved. My beloved. To care for his congregation. He loves his congregation as he learned to love the way Jesus loved him. Moreover, James states that every act of giving, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow or change. It's not like the, the mythical gods of the Romans and the Greeks with, that used humanity as sport. No, there's no change. He's, there's no shadow or variation in God. We can be confident. And you know, the church has been singing this for a hundred years. In 1923, a song, a hymn was written. I'm going to try to remind you. It, it, Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There's no shadow. There's no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. I'm going to say, great is thy, don't leave me hanging, man. Great is you know thy it. faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see. Come on, help me out. just saved the church right there from having to endure my voice. Thank you, Colleen. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord, unto me. And James reminds the church, lastly, that God is a God of purpose. He says something about first fruits. That we are the first fruits. Because God's a giver of good gifts, he has placed, he has a, in place a grand purpose of his creation. And humanity is of the first fruits, he says. Reminding the congregation that they have a purpose. You have a purpose. The first fruits, the good stuff which makes, brings goodness and wholeness to the world. The first fruits. 
They are a gift to the world. Sharing the hope and the love of God in the world. We live into that purpose as a congregation, don't we? All the ministries that we're a part of, the things that we're doing on midweek or preschool, how we reach out in our local schools here in Cielo Vista and our local mission projects that we are involved in. Not only just locally, but globally. Participating in what God is doing in the world. Because we have purpose. God has given us purpose. And part of the first, first fruits is our partnerships in mission. And we have one of our missionaries with us this morning, Elmarie Parker. And so I'm going to invite her forward as we learn of what she is doing in the world and how we can be encouraged together through that. So Elmarie, please come forward. I don't know what happened to that microphone. Oh, there it is. Let me grab it. Oh, thanks, Dave. All right. Marie, thanks for making the long trek here all the way from Lebanon. That's pretty far. It is. It's so good. We have uh, Elmarie and her husband, Scott, have been a part of our congregation, our partnership for uh, eight to ten years, I believe. And we have seen her and Scott on occasion, uh, especially during the pandemic. They, they shared with us during the um, Advent, and they, they, in their home in Lebanon, uh, led us through the Advent candle lighting. I don't know if you remember. It was really, really cool. And then uh, Scott uh, has helped with our midweek program um, and led a, uh, a strong kids, strong emotion with our Wednesday night kids. Um, just after the pandemic and when they're coming out and kids were suffering and trying to figure out what happened, why I didn't get to go to school and I missed my friends and all that. And then you led us through a Lenten devotional, um, even from Lebanon and, and helped you. So you've been a part of helping us and leading us and now you're here and we're so thankful. And so this is the first time you're here, so tell us more about yourself and how you came to do this and be a missionary in Lebanon? <laughs> well, first, it is a gift and joy to be with all of you in person. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. And uh, yeah, call. How did I, we come to be in the Middle East? Uh, it really all started with a prayer that got a hold of me and wouldn't let me go. So God's Spirit has a way of doing that. And it was this prayer uh, Lord, is there a particular people or place that you would have me share your passion for? And so that prayer became a part of my uh, daily life for several years. Uh, I was very content in the ministry work I was part of at that time, serving as a pastor in Ohio. And yet I continued to feel this pull that God was preparing me for uh, a different people, a different place. And uh, that really came together with an invitation from a, a woman who's now a good friend of mine who has long been involved with our partners in the Middle East to join her on a trip to Iraq. This was in 2011. And I just knew I had to be on that trip. And it was meeting our siblings in Christ in Basra, Iraq, in the south of Iraq, uh, and hearing their call story of how they responded to Christ's spirit in the midst of 
their cities being literal war zones. Mm. And their prayer was, Lord, how may we be of service to you at this time mm. in our country? And out of that prayer emerged all these practical ministries that went well beyond their church walls into their communities to impact the lives of children and families, uh, preschool ministries, radio ministries, health ministries, uh, that have transformed their communities. And I thought, I need to be part of this. I need to learn from these brothers in Christ, these sisters in Christ, what it looks like, what it means to follow after Jesus when everything around you looks like it is a complete disaster and there's no way forward. And so some of what we've sung this morning of God being the way maker, amen, that's what I mm -hmm. saw in our siblings. And so that was the start and uh, said yes to the, the call a couple years after that as a position opened up. Yeah, yeah. So you and Scott both then went to uh, Lebanon. Mm -hmm. And, and work in, with the Syrian churches there that we've learned a lot about over the years. Um, there are congregations in Syria, a Presbyterian mm -hmm. church there that's been there a long, long, long time, way longer than any of us have been around here or mm -hmm. churches here. That the Presbyterian church hundreds of years ago helped plant. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. And so what's going on currently in mm -hmm. uh, your work in Lebanon? and connection with Syria. Yeah, so we've been based in uh, the Beirut, Lebanon area. We work with partners in Iraq, Syria, and Lebanon. And uh, in Lebanon in particular, these last few years since uh, spring of 2019, and especially from the fall of 2019, it's been extremely difficult. The country has gone through a complete economic collapse. So. Um, Middle income salaries that were worth uh, 1500 a month are now worth less than $20 a month. So we've been living with inflation well over 200% uh, since 2019. Uh, so to say that that has been difficult is um, a small understatement. Mm. Uh, so in the midst of that, our partners have continued on in their ministries. And part of my work is relating to the leadership of around 25 different partners that we as Presbyterian Church USA have been in relationship with, some since the early 1800s and some just in the last couple of years. And they range from our church, fellow Presbyterians uh, in the Middle East, uh, to educational institutions, both uh, from nursery through high school and also uh, uh, university level and postgraduate level, uh, and then also individual nonprofits that work with particular people groups, and that uh, ranges from children who are living with uh, being on the spectrum uh, to adults with physical disabilities to uh, families who have sought refuge in Lebanon, either from the Palestinian community, Iraq community, uh, Syrian community. Mm. So Lebanon... Their total population is around 4 million Lebanese citizens, and they've had uh, around 2 million uh, refugees in their country uh, over these years. So it's really been a remarkable experience to mm -hmm. see our partners at work in that. Yeah. 
you know, over the years, one of the highlights for us or something that we can connect with has been your program with, uh, and your husband's program with, uh, it's help me, it's Strong, strong kids, kids and Strong, strong Emotions. emotions. With, and is it with the organization Blessed or the, the church, Blessed It's church? through one of our ecumenical partners, uh -huh. Middle East Council of Churches. So uh -huh. they make up the whole Christian family, Oriental Orthodox, uh -huh. Orthodox Catholic, and Protestant. Uh -huh. And uh, so they have been working through one of their medical and social services dispensaries, and they host Strong Kids, Strong Emotions there. Uh, in a community of Beirut where many, many families who are seeking refuge in Lebanon live. Uh, and he, he and his colleague have been working primarily with Syrian and Iraqi children, 8 to 12, wow. uh, for these last, man, seven years or yeah. so in that program. And that program, we got a, a, a hint or a little glimpse of it mm -hmm. when he, um, Scott, led our young people uh, on a Wednesday night. But I, just the, the trauma that children have gone through, war-torn, uh, refugees, all these things that these kids have to grow to become resilient and, and to have Presbyterian missionary there coming alongside and bringing a sense of hope and, and some real tools mm -hmm. to help cope. I, 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 we're so thankful for that. And, and I'm, I'm sure you've seen just amazing things in the lives of these children. Mm -hmm. It's really tremendous. I, one of the stories that I love is of the kids uh, coming in, and, and this is a play therapy-based program that also uses uh, uh, biology-based interventions, so teaching kids how they can pay attention to what's going on in their bodies and ground themselves when they start feeling anxious. And so this one day, uh, as they were meeting, there was a car coming by that backfired. And it uh, immediately brought to mind for the kids the Beirut port explosion that had happened the previous year. This was, the explosion happened in August of 2020, and this was about a year later. And so all the kids just initially froze, and then each one chose their particular way of grounding. Some of them went and pushed against the walls so that they knew they, they were in a solid situation. Another one went to get a drink of water because that helps your body recognize, okay, everything's okay, I can calm down. And uh, then the kids talked about it afterwards and they shared how they had been passing on these skills to their younger siblings and older siblings and even to their parents and the difference it has been making in their households to be able to bring down anxiety or anger uh, when other things are happening that kind of bring all of that up. So it's not only impacting the individual kids, but it's rippling out into their extended families, yeah. which is a tremendous gift. Oh, man, that's a great, yeah. great story. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, we're thankful for you and our mm -hmm. partnership in ministry. Um, and though we can't all go and be in Lebanon, uh, you go for us. Mm -hmm. Aren't we thankful that Elmarie goes for us? <laughs> yeah. Uh, amen. And Elmarie, you know, as we, as a congregation, live into the purpose that God has called us to inviting all people to build an active relationship with Jesus Christ, we know that you're there planting seeds, 
uh, bringing a sense of comfort and hope to a, a very difficult place in the world that sometimes it's just so overwhelming for me. I, I sometimes just can't understand all the, the difficulties that are going on. Yet, we have the hope yeah. that you're there and that we're spending resources um, and, and giving towards a, an effort that is bringing the hope of Christ in the lives of people. Um, and we're so thankful for you. Now, before, we're thankful, but we also want to continue our partnership. And how, I mean, what are some of the challenges that you face? And then that will give us a, a sense of how we can be specifically in prayer for you and Scott and, and the program and our partner churches there. Well, first I want to say thank you to the ways that you all have already been partners with us and with your siblings in Christ on the ground there. Uh, you've been an active part of Strong Kids, Strong Emotions through some of the offerings you've received through One Great Hour of Sharing and other offerings through VBS. Uh, you've helped send supplies. All of that has made a huge difference. You can't even imagine how these kids' faces light up when they see a whole table full of different craft supplies. Uh, for them, it's their only opportunity during the week to play and feel like they're kids. And so you all have been part of creating that opportunity for them. Uh, as we go forward, some of the challenges right now, uh, because of the number of really, truly catastrophic events that have just come one after another, after another, after another in the last uh, few years, I'm seeing, especially among the leadership, how weary they are because they have to be out with all of the people they are serving and relating to and be up and express that hope. Uh, and yet they're also carrying a tremendous weight. And so that would be my fundamental ask in terms of prayers, that you would continue to pray for the leadership of these 25 different partner organizations that we as Presbyterians here in the U.S. have the privilege of relating to. Uh, pray for those leaders that they would continue to be filled with God's own strength every day, hour by hour, as they're interacting with people that have some really uh, significant challenges that they're facing. Uh, and in, in addition to that, own, that personal resourcing that God would give them strength, uh, that the other resources that are needed would continue to come uh, at the right time in the right way uh, for the ministries that they feel called to. They are, as you were talking about, they are the first fruits in their context. Mm -hmm. And uh, after worship, I'll be sharing a few uh, specific stories, and as long as the video works, you'll have a chance to hear firsthand from the pastor of the church in Aleppo, Syria, and his own articulation of how we are the body of Christ together. Uh, we're, we're not an American church and a Middle Eastern church. We are the body of Christ mm -hmm. together, period. Mm -hmm. uh, and you all are part of that. That's right. So after the service, we'll have some coffee, but then if you're able to stay and meet in the NPR, we're going to hear more uh, and see some images and videos of her, uh, Scott and Elmarie's work in uh, Lebanon. It's exciting. So um, we're so thankful for you and thank you for coming all this way and being a part of us and um, 
Now we can see in person someone who we've been praying for and in partnership and ministry with. Um, so thank you. I, I'm going to offer a prayer. And uh, in that prayer, there's uh, also an opportunity for us to reflect on our giving and as we support the ministries God has called us to in our mission. And so uh, allow me to pray. God, thank you for this time. And thank you for Elmarie and her time with us. And Thank you for her work and, uh, in the Middle East and bringing reconciliation and hope uh, into a part of the world that's very weary, as we have learned. Um, God, we pray that you be with them and, and strengthen them in their weariness, reminding them you are a God of promise. You're a God of good, who gives good gifts. You are a way maker on ones who is working, even when we don't feel it or see it. You are working in and through and in through Scott and Elmarie, and in through the mission of this congregation in this world. And so, God, as we reflect on our giving, and as we give this morning, we pray that you, we dedicate these gifts to you, and that they go out of the world and bring in your hope and your love. In Christ's name we pray, amen.